Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So in today's episode, we have Arlene Garza. She is a powerhouse multifamily syndicator, has passively invested over 3,500 doors and actually owns and manages close to 2,000 doors. So she knows a bit or two around really being a powerhouse when it comes to the multifamily space. What I think you'll really appreciate a lot about our interview with her she goes into the specifics around how she builds relationships with commercial brokers. We all know it's important, but the, but the tips and, and ideas she actually gives to be effective, because not everyone's effective in building relationships with commercial brokers, but she gives some great ideas, real takeaways that you can actually implement in your own business. Yes. And as you guys might know, I'm like obsessed with processes and a standard procedure. And so does Arlene. So I love when she uh, shares with us what are her criteria of evaluating a deal before you even start crunching the numbers? Because many of us start crunching the numbers, spending hours and hours trying to see if that deal works. She doesn't even go there. She has her specific criteria to that will save her time and it will save you time too if you follow her uh, her tips. But she's also somebody that truly has a pulse on the syndication market. So if you're looking into syndication uh, or being an active or passive investor, this is your woman. She's a really powerhouse and you cannot miss this episode. Interest rates are sky high in 2023 and buying a rental property means you could get stuck with an 8, 9 or 10% mortgage rate. But what about a 2.99% rate with rent to retirement? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate with an average cash flow of over $900 per month. Plus, they've got options where you can put as little as 5% down with no PMI. As the nation's leading turnkey investment company, Rent to Retirement helps investors build headache-free, high cash flow rental portfolios. And since their properties are fully turnkey, newly built or renovated, leased and managed, anyone can invest, even those who aren't into landlording. So what are you waiting for? This 2.99% rate deal won't last long. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. 
Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investor Show, where we are on a mission to empower women to live a financially free and balanced life through our uh, Facebook community, through our membership, uh, through our uh, everything that we're doing, every event that we're doing, which we're doing a lot right now, not just with our community. Um, we're all about empowering women, not just, not just for financial freedom, for that, just that, right? It's about creating a balanced life and creating a life that you live on your terms. So that's what we're up to. That's what we, uh, gives us a lot of passion, right? Every day. And we have an amazing guest. We, we bring on some amazing women each week uh, to share their story, share their journey. And some of these women have a handful of properties and some of them like today have a ton of properties and have been in this business a long time and, and they have so much to share. So Arlene, uh, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you for sharing yourself with, with us and our community today. Thank you, Liz. I think it's so wonderful that you and Andressa are empowering women. Um, and that is your mission. It's one that I've supported for a long time. So I'm happy to share uh, my story, my journey, and hopefully that will help someone uh, either kickstart theirs or, you know, 10x theirs, whatever yeah. the case may be. Well, I know you'll be able to share on both ends because you got such an amazing background. Um, but as we always like to do, if this is your first time uh, joining us, thank you for being with us. Thank you for, for sharing your, your time with us. So we really appreciate that. And we like to make anything you do with us, your time well spent. That's very important to us. We do not want to waste your time, especially as women. We do not have time to waste. So we do like to kind of kick things off, share something that's coming up for us. And then we jump into our interview because we want to get to it. We want to give you as much knowledge and inspiration and content as we can. So Andressa, what is happening? I think it is your turn to share something it is. useful with our community. It is. And I'm going to talk about return policy. You're All right. Like, I love what it. How are you talking uh -oh. about <laughs> Here, bear with me here. So when when you guys probably hear heard my story a long time about moving to to the U.S., one of the most exciting things when I moved here was the return policy. There's no such thing in Brazil about returning an item if it is not broken when you already purchased it broken. When we return things over there, they always ask, "Why are you returning?" I was like, well, didn't like it, didn't fit. Well, 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 that's your problem if you didn't mm -hmm. like it. Wow. So there's no such thing. And then throughout the years, I've learned here that I can return basically almost anything without <laughs> questions asked, which is like, cool. I like that. Another day I talked about, I went to a makeup store and I was like, how are you guys doing now? If I, I can't test the, the, the makeup, how do you guys do it? It's like, you just return. And I was like, this is insanity, but it's okay. Here's the reason why I'm saying this to you. The return policy in certain case might work against you. And let me talk about what are specifics I'm referring to. When I got started in real estate, I spent 30 grand in a coaching program, 30 grand. And I was determined to get that money back. You bet I, I wanted to get the money back. What I'm seeing around a lot of the times that people get in already thinking I'm going to quit and get the hell out. I'm not going to give my, my full, full force. So when they purchase something, they blame the coach, they blame the company, they blame the sky was not blue enough. And then they quit, they quit too quick. 
in real estate, I encourage you to have a no return policy. You got to get what you get and you make it work. You get, you work hard to get that return back, but don't go in thinking I'm just going to return if I don't like it or, or whatever it is. And also it takes the responsibility, your responsibility, right? Did you put a hundred percent into it or you were just like trying it out? Real estate, there's no such thing. If you want to just try it out, try something else, painting something else, right? But you're going to get paid as a hobby. If you are treating it as a hobby, if you're going to be a real estate investor or an entrepreneur, and you want to live a financially free life as, as we preach here, you've got to give 100%. 99 is not enough. So cross out the return policy of anything moving forward that you're getting yourself into and give yourself 100%. Because that is going to give you the confidence that you need to make it work no matter what. And in real estate, we all went through different things. It takes a village and you got to pivot. And how can we make this work and move forward? Keep oh, that I love in mind. That. I love that. I love that because, you know, it's so many things. I mean, you can get, you could talk about that on a whole episode of all the psychological impact of our culture and how it really does impact us in our life. You're absolutely right. So yeah, you got to move beyond the, the group think out there, right? Where you can't return thing. I love that. Good stuff. Um, that made me think. So all right. Wonderful. So Arlene, thank you again for being here. Uh, we always like to ask, ask the women that are on our show, um, what propelled you to get involved in real estate investing? Great. Well, um, I'll just share a little bit. I was in the corporate world for 20 years um, in the banking industry. And my husband had a software company, a property management software company. So mm. he had been exposed to it on the back end of seeing kind of how owners were managing their properties. And so when he sold his business, we decided to move to San Antonio because we both have families uh, in San Antonio and we like the culture and we like the opportunity. Um, so when we moved to San Antonio, we started educating ourselves on real estate. Um, I am less risk averse than my husband, who has been a serial entrepreneur. And so when he first said it, um, I, I was a little bit taken aback and I said, uh, buying real estate, what is that? And given I've been a lender, so I've seen a lot of different acquisitions. And he said, yeah, it's, it's a great, uh, it's a great uh, way to build wealth. And so we started educating ourselves, became certified apartment managers, certified apartment portfolio supervisors through the National Apartment Association and joined some real estate groups um, to, to be around like-minded people. And what I found was as I, my education level on the topic on real estate grew, so did my confidence. You know, I think, you know, Andressa, when you talk about a no return policy, part of it is understanding that eventually you will get comfortable with something. You will get more comfortable with something. And I, I will also share that our very first acquisition, which was a 24 unit uh, property here in San Antonio, um, what it took all the guts that I had, um, because, you know, we, we went through the process of, of finding a partner. Uh, although my husband and I had business backgrounds, we had no multifamily experience. So we were advised get 
uh, partner that has experience because the bank is going to want to see that. So we did. We, we got a small partner and uh, he was very helpful in many ways. Uh, but the first day when the seller drove onto the property to start the due diligence or to give us our due diligence materials, he drove up in a pickup truck, you know, Texas, here we are. And he had this big green suitcase. He takes it out, drops it on the hood of his car, opens it up, and there were all these papers. He said, there are the leases, there are the financials, there's everything that you need. And this was truly a mom and pop, you know, 70-year-old gentleman, California owner, uh, which is actually what you want. But at the time, uh, it totally took me uh, for a loop. Um, but what I found was that you just stick with it, right? You, you go back to what you know. You, you find the people uh, that can fill in the gaps on what you don't know. And you just keep moving forward. And so we did. Uh, I did the leasing. I did the accounting, uh, the marketing. Uh, my husband managed the rehab and the maintenance side of things. And it was a lot of work, but I, it was like a baptism by fire, right? It was the way that we learned the ins and outs of it on a small scale um, where we weren't risking a lot of other people's money. Um, I think our investor put in $20,000 and we put in the difference. And, you know, fast forward a couple of years and we sold the property for a 370% return. So at that point, I was hooked. I realized that there is a formula, there are basics to this process. And if you follow them, then you're going to do fine. I mean, real estate is an asset that's very tangible. You can touch it, you can see it. And in terms of multifamily, they don't build B and C's anymore. They're building class A properties. And so there's a need that gets filled um, by having uh, these properties in the market. And it's a, it's a great business. It's good for the residents if you're a good landlord. And it's good for you as the owner because there's great opportunities to build wealth. I love everything you said, Arlene, and, 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 and why I'm so excited to have you on our show, too, is that you've not only, you know, you're not only in the business and built a very substantial portfolio, but you've taken property. It's full cycle, right? And a lot of people are like, oh, I'm doing all this. And you talk to all these syndicators, these people out there putting deals together. Like, what, what have you sold? They're like, nothing. I'm like, you know, that's, that's, that's another conversation, a little bit of a red flag. But regardless, um, I, we want to jump into all that. I, I want to focus on something you said, and I really want to get, I really want to focus on it because I want the women listening to hear this. And I wish I got this sooner in my career of, of investing. You said there's a formula. And if you get the formula, you understand the formula, you can repeat the formula. And it wasn't until I think eight years into our business that we really got there, especially in our multifamily business, there was a formula and you just, you know, it was the Burr method and, you know, it was before the books on Burr and all that stuff, but we, we dissected the formula that was working for us and then we repeated it and then we repeated it again and then we went a little larger and repeated it again. And it wasn't until that moment that our business kind of grew and, and, and really took off in, in some ways and, and really started to get some legs to it. I just say that because I think so many times we look at these TV shows, we talk to these, we listen to podcasts, we read books and we hear these like glamour stories. And, and you know what? It comes down to 
figuring out the formula and then repeating the formula. Actually, not just repeating it, but correcting it, regrouping, pivoting, and then doing it over and over again. So I just love that. I wanted to, whether you're flipping, whether you're doing self-storage, it really does not matter what niche. But if you don't know your formula to success, and if you don't have one, you know, that could be a reason why you might feel stalled out. It could be the reason why people feel stuck. I wish, I wish we did that sooner in our business. Uh, I agree. Yeah, I agree completely. You know, you're developing the formula, right? It's constantly growing. It's like a mathematical equation that you keep adding to it. Yeah. And every transaction, every acquisition, every disposition, we've learned a ton. And so you, you, document you categorize it and you you learn not to repeat some of the things that you choose not to repeat and then you expand upon the things that you find really helped create success and so you're exactly right it's a formula and you know with multifamily it's what I love about it is that the properties are valued on the income they generate nothing more and to me, that's what made it very easy to get wrap my arms around it, wrap my head around what is multifamily. You know, you've got income, you've got expenses, you've got net operating income, and the property's value based on the net operating income and a cap rate, right? And cap rate's just an indication of risk, right? The risk or reward. And so um, that formula has worked time and time again. And I will say, of that formula, the income side of it, truly understanding the income side of that formula is key. And I say that because on the expense side, for example, we have a management company in-house. And so we know what our run rate is on expenses. So when we go to underwrite, we know what to plug in, right, for a new acquisition. We also know when something's not right, when we're looking at our financials and needs an adjustment. Um, So the expense side can look very different to a lender, can look very different to a buyer or or a seller. But the income side is where you're really going to drive that value. So understanding the rents is super important, Um, whether it's single family or multifamily, understanding your market, Staying on top of trends, what's happening in that market? I I read so much and luckily I love it. I mean, that's something that really jazzes me is to read market studies, whether they're coming from the large, you know, commercial brokerage shops, local real real estate groups, et cetera, is staying on top of that because that's going to impact your income at some point, either up or down, knowing where to be and how to position your property to take advantage of that. So I want to just pick back on what you're saying about the market. I'm sure you have different formulas for the market, the uh, management, your tenants, different different areas. But for somebody who already went full cycle in more than 500 units, and based on what we're seeing right now, what are your criteria, your formula for analyzing a market? Great. So one is we look at markets that have good job growth and good population growth and that are landlord friendly. And so that those three things are key. And we've seen every bit of that impacted um, by COVID in you know, 2020. So what we have typically bought um, are our criteria typically is 150 units plus. 
uh, in one of these, you know, faster growing markets, and we've purchased B and C assets. Um, now, not to say we wouldn't buy an A. In fact, we're invested final on an A property right now, but it's a property that was built more like a B plus asset, right? And so what, when we look at these, what we're looking for are properties where rents are below market. So typically 150, maybe $200 before, below market. As I said, to, you know, to piggyback on what I said before, the income side is going to drive your appreciation in your property. And so what we've learned in 2020 is that the A properties took a little bit of a hit on occupancy and on rent growth, right? They kind of froze um, because that there was an impact to people's ability to pay those higher rents. And what we saw is some of those residents moved back in with mom and dad or, you know, looked for cheaper or more affordable housing. Um, so that was one thing we saw with the B class assets. What we saw in our portfolio is that our collections remained pretty steady. There was about a two to three percent differential in 2020 than previous years. And that was because of the job losses and the impact that happened from the shutdown. Um, but overall, the, the B assets um, performed pretty well. In fact, we were pleasantly surprised um, our, across our portfolio. Uh, we, our NOI grew 10% during COVID and our occupancy grew um, at, at every property. And I, I think it's because, you know, what people, what we found is that people found that their housing and their food are the number two things on their on their uh, priority list. Um, and that's not to say we didn't work with a lot of people that were affected. We did. Um, we filled out probably about 175 rental assistance applications. We took it upon ourselves to do it for them. Um, one, because we're more familiar with the paperwork involved. And so we would deliver to their doors and say, you know, this is our way to help you. And um, we also did a food drive. Uh, my husband and I went and purchased groceries and our team put together big bags of groceries because our, um, our assistant managers who do the collections were commenting that people were coming in and saying, I'll pay you the rent. I just don't know how I'm going to feed my family. Mm. And so we wanted to do our part. Um, and so we, we just distributed grocery bags full of food uh, to people because that's the right thing to do. And that was our way to show our residents that they truly do matter to us for more than just paying their rent. And so that was what we saw there. Now we, we sold all our class C properties and Class C properties is where the delinquency tended to be the highest. And that's because there was those individuals tend to be in service oriented jobs. And those were the jobs that were the most impacted. Um, but I will say that for us, that B and C class tends to be where the sweet spot is um, for us. And we saw it do well during COVID. And what we're seeing, you know, you talk about the market, what else is going on? It's very, it's becoming more and more competitive for multifamily. What people found was that multifamily and industrial 
were the two sectors in real estate that probably weathered the storm the best. And so you had all these you know, folks that had been in office or retail um, all of a sudden shifting their game plan to move into multifamily because everybody realized people always need a place to live. And apartments, I mean, the markets we invest in, for example, San Antonio, 51% of the households rent, over half of the households rent. Houston is a secondary market where we've got, we now have three uh, properties in that market, 58% of the households in Houston rent. So again, those are metrics, those are market um, numbers that we watch uh, along with employment. I mean, Houston is the number one uh, market for our employment projected through 2025. So we are bullish on Houston. There's a lot of things I wanna talk about that you just shared. Um, you know, one thing in particular though, uh, and it's interesting because our experience was the same exact as yours, Arlene, where the, the the properties that were C, we had the most delinquencies, where it was more like B, we didn't, and it actually thrived. Unless we had a building that was a C and we were converting to a B in like a C environment, if you will, that actually thrived because we were actually out, you know, we had a better product than than the than the competition. But my, my, my so, so many thoughts in terms of like where to head the next question, because you got a lot of good stuff there. That is exactly what I think the concern or problem or challenge that a lot of people are having, especially in the multifamily space, is that people that are, have been in the multifamily space are getting outbid, right? People are paying, overpaying for deals right now. And I can, I can rest assured that the markets we're in, we're more in the Southeast, that's happening. We've gone best and final like three times in the last two months and, and have gotten outbid. And that's okay, because that we, we think they're overpaying for those buildings and that's fine because we like to keep to what we know, but it's happening. And so are you finding yourself and your team saying, okay, you're in San Antonio or in Houston. These are, these are popular markets, probably even more popular than, or more hot than even the, the markets we're in. Are you finding yourself saying, okay, we got to work a little differently here to find deals? Or is this kind of making you pivot a little bit in your business? I'm curious, like, how are you kind of working through that kind of the, the, the hotness of the market and the, the, the crowdedness of multifamily right now? What, what sure. are you doing maybe differently or, or are you kind of staying close to your numbers and just keep going after more deals and maybe trying to find more, you know, off market? Uh, properties. So I'm just curious what how you're navigating the the current market we're in and just the competition. Sure. I, and I think your your points are hundred percent correct in terms of how hot these markets have become and how hot multifamily has become. I will tell you that I speak a lot to brokers. Uh, in our world, you know, there aren't a lot of cold calls that work. Um, it's they're all generally coming from a multifamily brokerage firm. And so during the time that nothing was happening, I took advantage of that time to talk to these brokers. How are you doing? Are you going to be OK? Because their income was impacted. Right. Uh, I know in San Antonio, one of the brokers said we lost six months you know, of our lives um, because there was there was no activity, uh, basically. So it was really speaking to them about um, them understanding what we were looking for. Could we get more creative? Uh, we talked to one particular broker and said, look, here's a list of properties we've identified. 
you talk to the owners because it's it's a different scenario than single family, right? Um, they they want to feel like they're working with somebody that that understands the multifamily world. And so he actually he didn't bring us a multifamily property, but he brought us an office building. Uh, we had been looking for an office building to purchase. Uh, we now have 70 employees in our management company and our corporate side. And so we needed a, a place to, to be where we weren't constantly switching buildings. So he was able to find us an off-market uh, building um, at an awesome, you know, per square foot price that we wouldn't have found on our own because it wasn't a marketed property. So that's one example. On the multifamily side, it, it really is about trying to find those deals off market. When they're marketed deals, the price is going to be driven up. It's just the way it works. You know, the, the brokers will bring in, you know, four or five people into best and final. And, you know, if you get past the first round, there's generally going to be a second round of best and final. And so we're very open with the brokers and telling them, look, we, we always have our top number. We know what top number works and we don't go beyond it. So we'll, we'll submit an offer and the day offers are due, I'm on the phone with that broker. Towards the end of the day, what are you seeing? You know, they will give you general guidance. They won't ever tell you a number, right? But they will give you general guidance. And so we always try to submit last <laughs> just so that I can take advantage of any intel that there may be. And then um, I also ask them for, in a best and final conversation, in a buyer interview, what are they, what are the magic words? What are they wanting to hear? In most cases, you know, they want to hear certainty of close. They want to know that you are going to close that transaction. But they also sometimes want to know, how are you going to make money on this deal when I feel like I priced it, you know, to a point where I'm making money? And so sometimes when they want to know your business plan is to make sure that you're going to have a level of success uh, with this property. They're, they're generally proud of it. You know, they generally have done a good job rehabbing, et cetera. And so those are some things that I think have, have helped us. But it's getting those off-market deals that are going to make the biggest difference. And the other thing I will say is sometimes it's okay to be second. And, you know, we, we're taught to win. We want to be number one every time. And that's not to say you want to lose. But um, the transaction we closed in December of 2020 because we didn't stop. We didn't stop underwriting. We didn't stop those conversations. Um, it was a 95 asset in Houston. We were the number two bidder on that asset the year before in October. It was a loan assumption, which was, you know, took six to seven months. Well, when COVID started, that buyer got scared. It was a big billion dollar company. They weren't traveling. They weren't sending their folks in. And so the broker called us and said, the first buyer backed out. You guys were number two. Would you like, you know, to move forward on it? Well, the first go round, it was a loan assumption. So we could only go so high in our offer. So when it came back to us, I said, yes, we're interested, but we're interested in an all cash basis. Is your seller willing to talk on that basis? And they said, well, make us an offer. So we found a number that we knew 
would help absorb some of their prepayment penalty, um, but yet was a good number for us. And, you know, I think that one was 103 a door, all attached garages, washers and dryers already in every single unit, just a beautiful property with little deferred maintenance. And so for us, it was a huge home run. But during that time, we kept conversations going with that broker. So they know us. Um, when we moved from buying from San Antonio into looking at buying in Houston, I asked the brokers in San Antonio, would you send a recommendation email for me to Houston counterparts? Because they didn't know who we were. And so tell them we're good buyers. Tell them that we're fair. Tell them that we close. We've never transacted. We've never put anything under contract that we did not close. Um, and, and that's important. Now, that doesn't mean there weren't negotiation points along the way once you complete your due diligence, but it's really positioning yourself as a buyer that can close with these brokers and understanding what's available in the market. Sometimes you have to dig a little deeper um, to go out there and get them. Um, but I will say that during COVID, we, we established this, what we called our COVID underwriting. And that underwriting involved not taking as much of the rental increase in year one and pushing it over to year two in case the market still had not stabilized in you know that first year of acquisition. And so that one gave our investors peace of mind and gave us peace of mind that if the deal worked on the, that basis, it was going to be a home run. And so we were, you know, now we've loosened up a little bit. We're, we're looking at, you know, the exit cap rates um, a little uh, closer. I mean, cap rates have compressed. And so, but you don't want to, I mean, that's your big key uh, on the back end is how you set your exit cap rate when you're underwriting. And so those are all the things that we looked at and are still looking at even in today's environment. Well, I was going to pivot into underwriting. So you, you, you went there because one thing that I want to highlight that Arlene was saying to everybody, sometimes we focus a negotiation on the money itself and we forget the clues. So I love, I just want to repeat because if you missed this, like I want to repeat it to you that she says that she is in contact with the broker all day long because she want to hear the magic words. What are the, those words? If the broker is not telling exactly what it is, but like, tell me the conversations and the words, what, what they care or what they are having a problem with. You're really trying to interpret all, all of that and use it as negotiation power. So I love that. So in terms of um, underwriting, Arlene, there's not a recipe that fits all. And with COVID, underwriting process change, pivot many, many, many times. For somebody that is looking to underwrite their first deal right now, I know that you mentioned on your first deal, you had a partner that had experience. Would you continue recommending that in term, most importantly regarding the underwriting? Because if that part is, is off, as a brand new investor, you're in big, big trouble here. So would you still recommend that or there, or are we making underwriting more complicated than, than what it should? No, I think Adressa, you're, you're hit the nail on the head. Um, I do think if you're new to this business, one, if find a mentor, find somebody who has done this repeatedly, who has a good track record. 
uh, demonstrated track record, and then find uh, a co-sponsor. You know, find someone that has also done it before, that knows the pitfalls, and that can also be a good um, way to get you in the door with these brokers and get you in the into a best and final because there is that track record that everybody's looking at. So those are key things. And then once you get into the underwriting, we have a couple of things that we do. One, when a property comes to us, um, either off market or on market, uh, we run a crime report. We've got a pretty extensive crime uh, process that we follow. So we don't even start looking at numbers. We, we look at location. Is it a location we and or our team would want to be in? And if it passes that muster or that level, then we go to what we call our, our shortened underwriting model. So it's truly putting in you know, the purchase price and all rehab and the rents and other income and all of that. So we, we go through that process. If the numbers work there, then we have an, a more extensive, detailed um, PL driven um, process that we underwrite. I talked about, you know, the rents. If you consider that you're going to rehab a property, what percentage of that property will have been re rehabbed in that first year? Don't make your rental increases so high that you're making the assumption that 100% of them are going to be rehabbed and the rent increases are occurring in that first year. It's just not going to happen. So that's super important. And again, we shop every single competitor ourselves. We go to those properties, we look at their non-renovated and their renovated units, and we compare them to what our typical renovation product looks like. And we make sure that, that we're, we're looking at apples to apples. We also will shop in one or two A properties in a one to three mile radius, because that's your top of your market. If you're underwriting what those properties are getting, you're probably not going to get there, right? Because they're offering a different product set, different amenities, et cetera. So those are important things to look at. The other thing I would say is that make sure you have enough money that you raise for several things. For your rehab, make sure that you, you don't, you know, assume $2,000 a door when you really need, you know, 4,500 to 5,000 a door, because you're not going to, you're not going to want to take that out of operations later because you're going to shortchange your investors, right? If it's going back into rehab. So make sure that your rehab plan and your dollars for that are enough. The uh, other piece of it is on your reserve dollars, your unencumbered sitting in the bank just in case there's something that happens. So when COVID happened, we went through and we looked at, you know, across the board, how many months could we operate these properties with the reserve cash that we had? And we, we sent that analysis to our investors. We were reporting about every two weeks to our investors on what was happening with the properties. And we also did a stress test of, how low could occupancy go and still break even? Well, we do that on the front end on whether it's COVID or not. We always look at stress testing the properties to make sure that when we have enough reserves to float the property, if something were to happen, even a, you know, a fire or a disaster or something like that, um, so that we could operate it um, 
well. So those are a couple of things that we look at pretty closely in our underwriting. And when you're looking at cap rates, I will just say this, look at the price per door that that translates to on the back end. Is it reasonable that if you're buying it at, let's say, 100 a door, that you're going to sell it for 190 a door? Maybe, maybe not. It depends on the market. But what is everything else selling for, you know, in that market? And make sure that your, your cap rate translates to a price per door that makes sense. So those are just some of the things that we look at. On the other income side, I will say that right now, Smart home technology is a big thing, but you've got to know how to underwrite it. How much are you going to actually capture from that? You know, is it $25 a door per month um, versus what you're spending to get it? If you're assuming $100 per door, you're probably not going to be accurate, right? So go on the conservative end and also project what percentage of those households and how quickly they were going to, they're going to adopt that smart home technology. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes, but how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com. Or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, you're, you're, you're seeing so many helpful things here. I mean, the, the part about competition, I just want to make, make mention of that. Um, it's funny because, you know, you talk to folks that are maybe not as business savvy or, you know, we hear this in comments in our community at times and people will ask questions and, and you know they're not studying the market. I mean, I'm sorry, studying the competition. And we don't talk enough about that. We, we all know you got to know the market and what's happening. And that, that seems like it's kind of, in some ways, even some common sense. Now, getting to the specifics takes a little more um, education and experience. But the competition is so critical at every niche in terms of investing, but especially, right, when it comes to multifamily. I love that you visit all the different competitors. I love your tip um, that you want to be studying the the folks that are in a different class, right? Maybe some new construction. You want to know all your competitors, not just kind of equal footing competitors. So I just want to stress that even if you are literally looking at a duplex, you need to know your competition. 
you're, you have competitors. People are going to rent from you or going to rent from someone else. It's not just large multifamily. Cause I know we talk a lot about competition in, in larger multifamily, but I think it's such a relevant point for every niche of investing. And it doesn't get talked enough about. It's almost like we know this in like common business knowledge, right? What's your product and what's your competitive edge, but yet we don't sometimes translate it to investing or as a, as an investor. So I just, I wanted to just reiterate that. Cause I think that's really important. Um, especially, you know, where we are with multifamily. Um, and I had another thought that just literally popped out of my head. So. Well, you know, I will add to that, Liz, that, you know, in our case, um, we have our own management company. We're vertically integrated. So we control that entire process. But a lot of folks are working with third party management. And, you know, they may be the ones doing the shopping for you. They may be checking your competition and I will say that's fine, but make sure you you lay your own eyes mm-hmm. um, on the competition. Um, and as it relates to underwriting, the third party management company should be an integral part of your underwriting, right? They should sign off on your rents. They should sign off on your expenses and say, yes, I can deliver that for you. Because if you're not in sync with your third party management company, then when you go to them and say, well, why aren't you hitting the numbers? They're going to say, well, I didn't even know what the numbers were that I was supposed to hit. So even before we make an offer, our VP of operations over the management company, she's reviewed all the underwriting and she signed off on based on her knowledge of the market and what we've presented that she's comfortable that she can hit those numbers. I love that. Because you're just getting people engaged and committed to make something something really work. And talking about team, in order for you to have, you know, thousands of units under your belt, team building, right? How important it, it's that, it's needless to say, it's really not, we're not able to do it all by ourselves. Just, just put it out there. For you, Arlene, building a team. What do you know now that you wish you knew at the beginning that really helped you to build a strong, committed, loyal team that really like pushes through? Great question. You know, I'm often also asked is who was the first employee you hired? Accounting. Uh, The number side of it is so critical. My degree's in finance, not in accounting. So I know enough to be dangerous and screw up some books. <laughs> so <laughs> having, having whether it's a, a you know, contract accountant, uh, bookkeeper that can, you know, make sure that all the deals get logged in correctly and all of that is super important. And so that was the first person we hired. And then the second person we hired was an HR person. When you're dealing with multifamily, you've got all levels. You've got, you know, from the community manager to the assistants, to the maintenance folks, to leasing. And having somebody who could really bring in that talent was important. Um, For us, our culture has always been one of respect. You know, we, we don't hire anyone that would not be willing to help somebody else at another property. And to do it in a respectful way. You know, you're not going to be best friends with everyone, but if you treat everyone with respect, then they will treat you with respect also. And we actually hired a consultant to um, develop a a questionnaire um, for leasing agents before they were hired. 
And the first step he did was to go interview our own employees to find out what they liked about the company, what things they would change. And uh, it was very rewarding for him to come back and say, everybody at the properties know who you guys are. They know you and Jacob, and they know that you care about them. That's the first thing they said was that they know you care about them. Um, during COVID, we never shut our doors. Um, other management companies did, we understand that. Instead, we took the approach of training our team how to do their job safely. And so that's part of the reason why our NOI grow, grew and our occupancy grew, because we kept taking care of the residents. We didn't stop. Um, so, you know, after we'd gotten through the, the big bulk of it, my husband and I bonused every single employee out of our own pocket as a thank you to them for risking their lives, if you want to look at it that way, but more for, than anything for their dedication to the company and to our residents. And, you know, I will add to, you know, the question you asked, develop an org chart of what you would want your company to look like. Run your business, run your investment, your investing business as a business. Look at that org chart and go, do I hire for that or do I outsource for that? But you want to have all those key pieces in your business in order to grow it and to scale it. We've always hired more than we needed um, because we knew we wanted to grow. And so we invested, you know, some of our profits in people. And that's been a huge, huge payback for us is to be able to, to grow. Um, we, you know, currently have, we had four properties under contract. One we closed last month um, that was a, a, a learning experience because there was damage from the snowstorm, right? So we had not ever experienced that, negotiated it very well with the seller, closed it. It's in process of being rehabbed, et cetera. And it's going to be a win-win. I mean, we were able to get half a million dollars from the seller to do the renovation. So that saved some of our rehab dollars that we had initially projected, right? So it's, but our VP of operations managed 14,000 units. And so when we brought her on, it was more than we needed, but we knew that we needed somebody with that level of experience because we want to get to that point. Wow, that's awesome. I, I, I love what you said too. We as as investors, you know, we we can be tend to, you know, tend to not feel as comfortable, right? Spending the money before the growth has happened, right? So, you know, I, I know we hired our first bookkeeper before, you know, at the time it was $200 a month. And that was like a lot of money, you know, to spend on a bookkeeper for us at that time. And we did it. And, and but it was like, we needed her, but we probably needed like a few more people. So to your point, I love that, that abundant way of thinking and thinking about how can I, how can we, how can we build a team that supports our growth? I mean, you want to talk about prosperity. Like that's a, that's a really prosperous, prosperous mindset that has probably allowed you to grow, right? Right. Significantly. Um, Arlene, there's there's so much we can keep going through. We got we got to have you back on. You got a wealth of knowledge to share, and I would we, love to. Yeah, you know, appreciate you. My my mindset is somebody taught me a lot along the way, and I'm still learning. And I think it's my duty. It's it's 
you know, it goes along with your mission to help others succeed. If I learned it, why not share it? You know, if it helps somebody along the way, share it. And so I'm, I'm very happy to, to share, you know, what I've learned along the way. And we'll continue to do that. If somebody has a question, reach out to me. I, I will always stop and take the time um, to help others. Where can the ladies listening learn more about your, your growing and budding businesses? Awesome. Where our, our entity is called REAP Equity, R-E-E-P Equity. So you can reach me through invest at reapequity.com. Or if you want to reach out to me directly, it's Arlene, A-R-L-E-E-N at ArleneGarza.com. Awesome. And we're going to put all this information on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. And the first one, Arlene, is what's the most transformational book have you ever read? That I've ever read? Well, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I think a lot of folks in the real estate industry were, were impacted by Robert Kiyosaki's book. So I would say that one, as it relates to business, is, is one of the most transformational. Awesome. The second is what's the most powerful routine that you do to create a financially free and balanced life? I Whatever balance means to you, I always say that. Because <laughs> it's different. Right? Yes, it's very different. But what I will say is that I tend to focus on gratitude. So every night I write down three things that I was thankful for, that I was grateful for. And then right behind that, I write down three other things that I want to impact the next day. And then I stop and I and I try to truly rest. I turn off my phone, you know, at least 30 minutes before bedtime. So I want to let my mind slow down. I want to give it time to be creative. And I think the other thing is I like to schedule a free day. And that is a day where I do not think about business at all. And it's amazing the creative ideas that come to you when you're not focused on thinking about business. I love I love when the, the ideas come, right? We're just like, oh my gosh, Liz knows that usually comes when I'm taking a shower. So I get out of the shower and I just find, try to find a notebook to write that down. So I love that. The last question is which woman famous or not, has inspired you the most? I would say my mom. Um, my mom, I grew up in a family of 10 kids. Uh, my mom uh, had a scholarship to go to college, but it was, she lived in an era and a time where her parents weren't comfortable with her leaving. Um, so she didn't go to college. Mm. And it became her mission to make sure that all 10 of her kids were educated. And so all 10 of us were able to attend college and it was, they, it was a very modest upbringing. There wasn't money to go and send 10 um, kids to college. So they instilled on us the value of education and she in particular did and to the point where when it was report card day, we lined up in front of them, all 10 of us, and you didn't want to hear, do you think you can do better? You wanted to hear, way to go. And so I think that was all a big part of all of us. I mean, there's probably six of us that are entrepreneurs out of the 10, and the others are in you know, professional uh, environments. And it was because of her. And 
her instilling faith. She made sure that faith was a big part of our lives. And I'll tell you what, without faith, there are those rocky moments that you can only get through with faith and prayer. And so I, I thank her a lot for that. That's great. Arlene, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you so much for sharing yourself and, and you know, all the great tips and ideas you, you had here on our show with our audience and our community. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. And again, I applaud you, yours and Andressa's mission to help women and empower them to build their own wealth and independence. Thank you for what you do. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.